Welcome K2H. I, today I am very privileged to have an old friend of mine to have a virtual conversation with me all the way from Singapore. Um, and he's an artist. He is an Olympic medalist, uh, Paralympic, excuse me, for, I don't know if that's even a difference, <laughs> if I should well, have to qualify is, that. It is. Putting but, hairs, but it is, yeah. Okay, you know, um, so we have a four time. I remember last time I interviewed you, I said three and you're like, three? Is it three or four? Three, three, three Paralympics, four world records, yeah. You hear that? Yeah. Three Paralympics and four world records. We're talking about this Olympian um, champion who is an artist and who is a, a, a motivation speaker and a, a die of, Oh, God, I, you know, I'm going to mess up, but a swimmer, an adventurer, a hiker, everything that you can possibly think of doing, I think of this person. And it's my old pal, Greg, Gregory Burns. Thank you for coming on K2H to share your stories. Pleasure to be in Hawaii with you today. I mean, I have very fond memories of Hawaii. In fact, I've, I've hiked around there. I've surfed around there. I've scuba dove around there. So uh, always a, a nice uh, nice memories to of Hawaii. When's the last so, time you were here? Probably about uh, 10 years ago now. Yeah. Wow. So it's time to come back around. Yeah. 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 You have a beautiful painting behind you. If people can, if you can just maybe describe a little bit about it, because I wanted to enter your space by kind of opening into your world of painting and what inspires you. Well, this is a, a painting um, from a place called the Maldives, which I'm sure may, you've all heard about. But um, in the we've we've done a, a, a quite a number of residencies there, artists and residencies, where we go to a a, a resort and uh, live there for a month or so. And um, this is a painting from one of those residencies that uh, it kind of simple to me. It's the I mean, it's a reflection of the swimming pool with the ocean beyond it. So. Um, yeah, I've, been, I've done a lot of painting um, of, in the ocean and uh, of the ocean, and, uh, and uh, this is just one of those uh, kind of ocean ocean paintings. Yeah, yeah, no, it's beautiful, and I just think that the world of um, of painting and what that does, you know, I, I always think because I can't paint, but the idea of your 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 imagination and connecting to a paintbrush and then having that tactile to feel that kind of transference of something of liquid form turn into a piece of artwork is a really amazing process if you really break it down, right? Yeah, it's, it's very intuitive, I think. It's, a, it's, a very, it's an internal dialogue, if you will. And it's, a, it's not, it's not a, a dialogue like, you know, a conversation literally like we're having now, but it's a dialogue of, oh, that, that feels uh, that that that's not weighted correctly, or that color doesn't really fix mix with that color right, or you know this shape should be bigger or smaller. So it's it's very much uh, tactile, like you say, and it's it's uh, you know it's 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 doing and then looking and reflecting and doing and reflecting and and you know allowing the painting to give you some feedback. And you know I I I know a lot of people that do. Uh, will draw or have sketches of what they're going to paint. And, and that's certainly one way of, of painting. But, you know, I will have maybe an idea of what I want to paint. Like this behind me was, you know, that you in, in these villas, you have a small swimming pool and then beyond that is the ocean. And so that's that was the idea. And I just it wasn't, uh, okay, let's draw a line here and here's the, the ladder and here's the, the 
so it when I paint, it's more of a I just start and then I it develops along the way. And I I um, the, the hardest part is knowing when to stop. Then mm. then. Is it like, you know, can you make the analogy with writing? You know, sometimes when you write, your 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 characters start taking over, you know, yeah. so to speak. Can you say that for the same thing in painting? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say they take over, but they 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 develop and they become yeah, they something. They you, right? Yeah. And, and and then they often the the problem is when they when you fall in love with them and you go, I love this painting as it is, but it's not right, you know, uh, you got to go back to school or you got to get an education or you got to, you know, have to stop saying dirty words or something. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, there's something wrong with the painting, but you're so attached to it that you don't want to change it. And so um, that's, that's the, there's a challenge there to kind of discipline yourself and, and say, okay, it, it's good. It's not great. And I'm, you know, to be willing, I've always said, you, you have to be willing to give up what you have for what you might become. And with paintings, it's, it's no different. You have to be willing to, to paint over, you know, your favorite part. Um, they say kill your babies in a way, and that's what it is with paintings. You know, you have sometimes you have to, you, know, you have to be, you have to be tough with yourself and with the painting and say, you know, it's good, but it's not there yet. And to do that, to get there, it has to. I have to change it, or I have to do something, make some intervention. And right, and, uh, right. Sounds like a tension that you're push and pulling yeah, with yourself. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it's, for me, it's not kind of like these, you know. Sunday afternoon margarita chill and, and paint kind of thing. It's it's more like a it's like a football match or a competition in a way. You know, there's a there's a, um, a there's there it there's a there's an there's a lot of energy that goes into it and uh, yeah. mental and physical. And I I paint quite big paintings, so I'm using my body. I'm using my brush. I I study Chinese calligraphy and painting, so I use big brushes, which are I tend to do these calligraphic strokes. And so uh, you don't see it so much here. This is a little more Zen. This is more, uh, you know, quieter. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a conversation that, that yeah. can get very Like everything. Yeah, no, it's really a great art. So <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but what I want to do is go back a little bit into your um, kind of childhood upbringing and what kind of got you into painting. And I did mention that you are a Paralympic swimming athlete. And um, let's talk about how disability informed your life and how it got you into painting, or maybe it didn't, you know, just give us a little bit of your background. Sure, sure. Well, I'm a very young person that had polio, um, but I, I contracted polio in, in Jerusalem when I was a year old. And then we came back to America. And um, how do you contract it was, polio? It's a, it's a virus. You know, here, oh. we, here we are again with a new virus. Yeah. Um, polio was just another virus. And, you know, people freaked out. There was a, you know, there was polio epidemics and people were scared to go out in the summer, have their kids go to swimming pools and stuff like that and so there's huh. you know it's a virus so there's, okay. there's history there um but huh. there was you know when i was two three years old growing up the doctors said look that you know you, to get strong the best thing for gregory to do or someone with polio to do would be to swim and uh so i started to swim when i was three four or five years old just kind of as rehabilitation if you will or you know i thought it was fun and you know just jumping up and down in the water. So that's how I actually got into swimming. It was a, you know, it was a suggestion from the doctor. And then with painting, it was, I started both when I was, you know, four or five, six years old. And um, I first started doing comic book, drawing my own comic book characters. Cause I, I looked at comic books. And I thought, well, I can go to the store and buy comics or I can actually just make my own comics. And so I would 
draw my own comics and then, um, and then, and then I started painting. And so I've been painting since I was five, but wow. I didn't start taking it seriously until I was in college. And um, I always jokingly say it wasn't until I took that nude figure drawing class that, uh, <laughs> that I really started getting interested in painting. Okay, we'll get to the nude part later. But <laughs> while you're still a child, when you were growing up, how did you make sense of your developing body? And did you understand what was going on? Oh yeah, I understood very well that I was different than everybody else physically. I'll never forget, um, I, was, I was five years old and it was time to go to school, you know, first grade or something. And my parents took me to the local, to the local what you'd call um, school for people with disabilities. Now this is the last century, this is a long time ago, but back then they didn't have it segregated into mental, physical, you know, different layers, you know, the, the hierarchy, if you will, of disabilities. You know, there was, uh, there was one school and I was five years old and I, to this day, I can remember being in a room or going to this school and being in a room with other people who were disabled. And I don't want to sound like an elitist, but I was in this room and I was looking around at other people with disabilities. And I'm sure that there were, you know, um, people with mental challenges as well as physical challenges. But I remember as, as a, distinctly as a five-year-old, just looking around and saying, I don't belong here. I don't want to be here. And somehow the message got through to my parents and my family. And they said, okay, well, let's try to send you, take you to the regular school. Where was this? In the States, right? This is in, 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 uh, outside of Washington, D.C., in okay. Washington, D.C., in, on the suburbs, okay. um, in, in a place called uh, Glenmar Park hmm. and, um, and Glen Echo. And so, um, so we would, then we went to a regular school. And, uh, and the, the, interestingly, so it, it, this was at, way before ADA, uh, Americans with Disability Act. And so went to this school and the principal was very, very nice and talked with me and my mother and said, you know, we'd love to have Gregory. Uh, unfortunately though, uh, he can't go to school here because our school has steps. It was two floors and there were steps. And she said, you know, there's no one can carry Gregory up and down the steps to go to classes. And you know, at that time I was only five and I couldn't, I couldn't manage steps. So my um, my mother said, okay, that's all well and good, but if he, you know, so the only thing from, you know, preventing him is the steps. And he said, yes, and she said, okay. So, um, she took me home and my dad and his buddy built a staircase in the backyard and so all summer long, I practiced, you know, climbing these stairs. And then wow. my mother took me, marched me back to the principal in the fall and said, okay, go do your business. And I, you know, climbed up the stairs and I said, okay, Gregory can go to school here. So, so that's how I got to go to a, a quote unquote, a regular school, the kind of school with other able-bodied people uh, instead of disabled people. So that must have been very crucial in your outlook on life and your socializing too. So, totally. Uh, um, again, not, not to be elitist, but the, I, I think had I grown up in a, um, in a cloistered, if you will, or, or a segregated school system where I was just with people who were disabled, um, I don't, think I would have uh, become as independent or active or, or you just like, yeah, I can do this kind of, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, there's always what have, could have, could have, should have, would have, and all that. But yeah. um, I, I think by growing up in, in society, like everybody else, uh, uh, I just got, got on with it. And that was a big part of my parents' upbringing too. It was like, my mother used to would say, the best thing that happened to Gregory. So there are four children in our family. There's my older brother, uh, who also contracted polio, oh. but he had had uh, the three shots. So he was, he, it passed through him and I'd only had one of the three shots. So I contracted oh. it 
and it stuck. And then, but then um, year, a few years later, we, my, my mother had uh, my sister, Roberta, and then my brother, Scott. Uh, so there are four of us. But my mother used to say the best thing that happened to Gregory was my, my sister, Roberta. And her meaning there was because of my sister. Now, my mother couldn't over baby me or over pamper me. She had to take, take care of another child. So, um, you know, then it was, again, you know, leave grit, not leave him alone, but let him get on with his stuff. And, um, and that really, I think, yeah. made all the difference. But, yeah. I, but I always was aware that of my being different. And I was always the only, if you will, disabled child in the school. And mm. I think that made me a little tough or tougher uh, because I was not so much, well, I was proving, trying to prove myself a lot. And, and you know, say, ah, you know, I can do that. I can do that. And I think that's actually a, a, a characteristic of many people with polio. There's a, this whole kind of social kind of thing that, um, you know, people with polio are always trying to prove themselves. Or that's, it seems to be a characteristic. It's well, not unusual. Okay. Well, maybe not specific polio. Maybe that's your kind of in your world of it. But I think a lot of people maybe try to overcompensate any insecurities in, in any form, right? I mean, if we wanted to generalize. But that brings me to a really um, kind of, I wanted to segue into this idea of independence and how important it is for uh, disabled people um, to live a full life. Now, why don't we take a quick break? If people are listening now, I am talking to Gregory Burns, who is an, an, an artist, a painter, uh, a Paralympic athlete champion, and uh, just a full round good guy. And uh, we'll be back to talk about uh, how disability and sexuality, actually now we're getting into the juicy stuff. We're gonna go into how uh, disability affects um, sexual well-being. So don't go away. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Gregory Burns, an artist who is right now in Singapore, virtually talking to us here at K2H. So Greg, um, I wanted to mention this event that I have organized that's going to openly discuss the intimate aspects of um, sexuality with not only disabled people, but non-binary non people. Um, because I feel like there is something to say about preconceptions of abled bodies or not abled bodies and how we either treat it like it is a, a handicap, you know? And my main guest speaker is from Hong Kong. I met her there, Carmen Yao. And she is a brilliant radical activist who is trying to claim independent space for disabled people in Hong Kong and, and all over the world. Her reason being is her fight for it is because, you know, especially in Asian communities and cultures, you get so coddled and overprotected because your Asian parents are like, I don't want you to get hurt. So they often have zero private space, right? And of course, you knowing Hong Kong, Places are small. And so not only is it because of you not wanting to give them private space because they're afraid of any potential dangers, but because there is a lack of space. And so a lot of disabled people in Hong Kong would have zero private space, which would affect their sexual health. So um, this was kind of the topic I'm trying to drive at in this, in this event, because we often have these preconceptions of how we are protecting, you know, people who are technically not able to, or, or not, or, or able to. And that's the question I'm having right now. You just expressed previously your sense of kind of um, 
self-empowering, you know, efforts to do things on your own. And can you speak to that? And we'll get into the sexuality part, but you know, like just how, well, let's go straight into it. How does that idea of disability affect your sense of um, sexual well-being? Like how did, when you're dating girls, did you wear really a shoot? How am I gonna get a girlfriend? Are they gonna judge me because of my legs? You know, what were your thoughts when you're going through this kind of um, growing up process? Yeah. Um, yeah, that very real question, because um, as a person who's disabled, I walk with crutches and braces. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big gangly. I'm not I'm not the all star football quarterback. And um, uh, I may be strong physically, but I'm totally different. And and I, I understand that there is a uh, our concerns or uh, mis, uh, not disinformation, but people don't understand uh, being the, uh, being disabled or what it means and what you can and what you can't do. Uh, you know, basically a disabled person, as far as I can tell, being one, you know, we had the same sexual drives as everybody else. And so exactly. as a, you know, I started dating, if you will, or trying to date when I was like 12, 13 years old, I remember Peggy Patillo, I think was one of the first girls that <laughs> I tried to, you know, I gave her my ring, you know, I was like, I was in, um, third grade, fourth grade or something. But anyway, I, you know, I was an early bloomer and, and, and yet I found uh, it was difficult because there was a certain kind of person, uh, female, of course, um, being, uh, being straight, I guess is the word for that. Um, you know, it was, there was a, a certain kind of female that would be, uh, the word accepting and maybe is the wrong word, but would, would be open to uh, having sexual relations with a person with a disability because and again, a big swatch, big brush, you know, generalization. And I, and I can, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not sticking to this, but um, my, my sense is there are certain people in the world that are uh, more, let's say, nurturers versus uh, the ones who are nurtured, if you will. Oh, it's it's uh, noon on, um, I'm not a church here. garbage truck? No, it's it's uh in Singapore they do it on the first of every month at noon. They have they ring the bells and I love it. It's a it's a great little uh, blip. Because in Thailand, anyway. when you hear the music, it was the garbage truck. In the States, you hear you think of ice cream trucks. Right, it's just good humor interesting man. <laughs> how yeah. we're yeah. kind of conditioned with the yeah. music associations. Yeah. So, so anyway, back to the, so there were, if you have, there's the nurturers and the nurtured. And I would say that by, in, 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 in uh, the, the females who are more nurturers versus the ones who are nurtured uh, would be more inclined and accepting and, and connect with me as a, as a, as a disabled man or boy or boy and then a man. Um, and, but so there was, there was a, uh, there was a certain kind of person that I would probably I would connect with and, and we would have sexual relations. So, um, but I, I, I joke that, you know, you talked about people's perceptions and misperceptions. And, you know, when I was growing up, and so when I was a teenager then, a late teenager, and uh, even in, in my early 20s or whatever, um, you know, I would have girlfriends and, and I, I would, I, I'm not sure this is true, but I'll just throw this out there that uh, I think the parents of some of my girlfriends had, uh, didn't understand or were not convinced or didn't think that I could maybe have 
sexual relations because of my disability. And, and I'm not saying as a result of that, but because I remember being allowed to have slumber parties at my girlfriend's houses with their parents in the next room. And uh, there, 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 there was this, I think it was because there was a, maybe a conception, conception that, you know, he's safe. He can't, you know, he can't uh, deflower my daughter or something you know, like along. Yeah, I, I, so I, I'm, in a way, maybe that, you know, that played sorry, into it. I, I was just thinking I, like my daughter, when she has sleepovers and recently she had a sleepover and they have a gay friend who kind of joins in. And I was thinking, gee, as a parent, we think, okay, it's also safe, but maybe it's just a front. You know? <laughs> They're having like these crazy orgies there and, and we're all thinking it's safe. <laughs> So it's just sorry, sorry. That's yeah. just funny. Well, again, kids will be kids. Young people, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's an exploration aspect to it. But you know, going back to the actual, um, you know, sexual acts is, yeah. Like, how did you learn? Like, you know, I guess the younger generation would be like, oh, okay, we learn from porn, or we just kind of like explore. Right, right, but back right, then, right. like, what was your kind of exposure, or did you talk to your brother? Like, what did you? How'd you learn? No, no, I was a little more progressive sexually than my older brother, to be honest. Uh, I was I was an early adopter, uh, let's just say, to spin the bottle. <clears throat> um, anyway, there was a you know I was I was a just learning as you go kind of thing, and I don't think there was any real uh, cliff notes or anything. You know, you had Playboy magazine that you could find now and then, but it was just you know learn by doing and. Um, and obviously, I think that, your partner would have to learn with you because there are probably like different positions that she would have to adjust to, right? Or I don't uh, know. Yeah, yes, yes, and no. I think I'm able-bodied enough that um, that there that really wasn't a, a major issue. Uh, I, I guess if you got into tantra and you you got into hanging from trapezes and things like that, yeah, I guess there's you know it's challenges. But you can't do that position. <laughs> yeah. You're right. And and in in some ways maybe because uh, you know my legs have my muscles and my legs are quite small because they're not they're atrophied and I don't use it. You know it's conceivable that I can uh, you know tie myself in a pretzel easier than anybody else. So <laughs> good point. Right. Yeah. But, but, but I think one thing, one thing that is, is very real and something that I fortunately am, am not uh, uh, sub subject to, but if you, uh, if you think about people that are paralyzed from say the waist, you know, the, the, the stomach down or what, um, people that have back injuries, for instance, uh, oftentimes have a challenge to have to, to be sexually active. I'm, I'm fortunate polio doesn't affect that. Mm -hmm. And the other challenge is they cannot control their bladder or control you know when they want to urinate when do they want to and yeah. as a result they wear a catheter which is for a man it would be a you know it would be like a condom with a tube that comes out of it to a leg bag where the urine would collect and then in very it's a very medically you know it's a medical device and and one thing that i've always been incredibly cognizant of if for those people what it must be like to you know, let's just say you're in a, you know, you're, you're in a wheelchair or not. And you, you know, you meet, and I'm just going to talk from the guy's perspective. So you yeah. meet a girl in a, wherever, in a bar or whatever you, and you take her home and, and, and or you go to her, whatever. Um, and you're about to, to uh, consummate or go, go the extra mile. And, yeah. and it's almost like you have to say, you know, okay, time out. I've, I've got to remove this uh, thing oh, from right. my, my penis and, yeah. and just, yeah. I'll just hang this to, I just think about that as a, as a, you know, a throwing cold water on the whole thing, which 
again, I'm fortunate I don't have that, but I realize that that is real. That is uh, for, for people that have that, that they have, to, they have to walk through that. They have to figure that out. How do you, you know? But that's why it opens up a very um, important aspect in shifting our perspective as in, you know, sexual relations or sexual acts don't have to be a specific way that we kind of are conditioned to understand it as. There are different ways to translate equally sexual pleasures that sure. we can't seem to think out of the box from, yeah. right? And I would argue that people with disabilities are very creative. And I've, I've spoken with friends about this that are, have different kinds of disabilities. And if you think about you know, quadriplegics, people who have very little or no use of their arms or legs, and you know, how does a, a male or female quadriplegic uh, engage in sexual practices? And you know, they're, I, I, they're very creative and they, they come up with solutions. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, a more recent kind of reference to it is that documentary Crip Camp. I think we talked yes. about this, right? It's yeah. a brilliant yeah. film that came out last year and, and really kind of normalized um, sexual um, experiences of teenagers back in the 70s because the footage was from then. And so it was this brilliant kind of an inside look into, um, you know, sexuality as, as normal teenagers in, in that sense and, and navigating it. And uh, one of the things that struck me, I don't know if you remember the film, is one of the female um, main characters remembered having sex with, was it a driver, the bus driver? I don't even remember, but she was, she knows she was doing a dirty thing, but she's like, screw this, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know? She owned it. Get it while you can, yeah. yeah. Well, so did you, I mean, like, did you have insecurities because of those? Did you ever have those thoughts or? Well, I had insecurities being physically challenged. I, I didn't really have insecurities once we, uh, once there, there was a mutual uh, agreement, we were going to, you know, engage, you know, and, and sometimes it, it goes without, it's not a, you know, it's not a verbal thing, but, you know, it, I, I'd say I was insecure uh, being able to to attract, if you will, mm -hmm. doing the you know the 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 uh, the, uh, the, the, the the dance, if you will, yeah, yeah. Um, and showing off my feathers. Uh, but you know, it wasn't so much once once we were sexually active that I wasn't insecure about that. I was insecure about well, so will will female X, Y, or Z that I'm interested in be interested in me in that way? Um, and, you know, that's a question all men have, whether they're right. disabled or not. And so there's, but I think the, the having, walking with crutches and braces and being different also made it a little more like obvious that, oh, this could, you know, Mary or Sally or Julie may, may not be up for that. And they, um, and like you say, it's our preconceptions and people's, cause I, and you know, I was dating, you know, a long time ago and this is way before the movie Crip Camp or, or ADA and stuff like that. So it really you know, it's a learning process for society, for people in general to, to, um, you know, to understand that, that it is, you know, you know, there are different, that we're different and uh, that then things will work, still be, still work out fine. Yeah, but I think we have to continue these conversations to normalize it and to, to embrace it like it is in such a kind of a, we have to kind of skirt around type of an issue. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. So, Let's take one more quick break, if you don't mind. We'll come back and we'll kind of um, dive a little bit deeper into, I wanted to dive into kind of the almost fetish-like aspects of how people conceive disability, if you will. Uh, we're back 
I was going to say we're back in the studio. We're back in the virtual studio. I'm speaking to my guest, Gregory Burns here, who is an artist and a swimmer and athlete and venturer. And um, Greg, we were just talking earlier about your kind of uh, sexual experience growing up as a um, disabled person, I guess. You know, I hate, I don't know if there's a sensitive way to address it or not a person with a disability it's kind of the I, you know as far as i know that must be the most pc way of saying it now but it could have changed you know it it really does it's it's challenging for me to know what to call myself sometimes but i'd say a person with a disability instead of a disabled person because you put okay. the per, you, you accent you know, the person versus that with the disability so. you know because it's the same with like racism right you know you address things with terms and now there are so many terms that we need to really consider with, with, you know, high sensitivity right. and respect that we, we have to unlearn old things. And going back to unlearning is unlearning kind of our, our kind of discomforts with things that are not quote unquote normal, right? Mm -hmm. And why people have to move around this with such discomfort. And so, the reason I wanted to bring up fetishism is because it is an uncomfortable topic and a lot of people assume it to be something that is out of the norm. But um, referencing back this event that I'm going to be doing this Thursday is that our guest speaker is going to be addressing this idea of fetishism and how it almost helps um, the idea of disability because people tend to see like crutches or um, wheelchairs as a form of something to use, you know, that turns sexuality into something perverse, if you will. Hmm. I don't know if you see, so she has a very kind of an interesting idea about by understanding it, that it almost helps us to uh, switch the concept and turn it into a healthy understanding of hmm. um, a different body. Yeah. Because most of us, when we think of fetishism, we think of like, you know, S&M or things that are kind of like, right. what is the perverted version of sexual pleasure? But why right. is it perverted and how is it perverted? So I don't know if you have any kind of thoughts on just that little inkling of, you know, um, no personal experience, to be very honest. But uh, but I'm, I think back to what you said earlier, any anything that opens up the conversation and makes it less uncool or less uh, or easier to understand or makes it uh, puts it out there it shines a, a positive light on it I think it's is healthy and gets people to to realize you know we're all in this together you know whether you know we're all we're, we're, all, we're no different from each other in, in that right. sense and and you look at art you know going back to your art is it it transcends kind of what the materialism that the act the body is actually i saw um a dance video about this one group and there was this one um person in a wheelchair who danced um as an equal part of them it wasn't like they had to do anything if anything he did these amazing tricks that they had to kind of you know work work with that and and so again we we like we have to treat it, we tend to treat it like we have to be careful with it and that it's something that we have to coddle, like I said in the opening, right? right? So how do we I kind of- that does that? the whole thing, I think you're totally right. And it's, but it does the whole thing a disservice because people, uh, they, and the only reason is because there's no, there, there is not an educational way of, you, you don't go to school, you don't take the, 
how to how to interact with people with disabilities class you know 101 you get driver's training you get sex education but you don't have you know and and not to say it should be a you know a semester long course i'm just talking about you know starting a conversation for young people long ago with, i mean when they're young to say listen these are these are the people this is something to think about and this is you know this is the, how they're different and you know they they're really they, they may be physically different than you, but they have the, you know, they, they want to have friends, they want to have, you know, sexual relations, they, you know, to, to de demystify it and de-demonize it and make it, you know, mainstream, not the whole concept of mainstreaming is getting, you know, mixing you know, apples and oranges. And mm. So I think it's communication and education that yeah. really does uh, help that conversation. And that's why disability studies is becoming an increasing area and trying to understand it in a way that it's not really, it, it, in a sense, it's not trying to highlight its difference, but to recognize it as almost like another area of study as in equating to ethnic studies, for example, you know, like minorities. Um, and so it's not seen as something else. Right. You know, the number that you hear these days is, you know, 10% of, or 15, 10 or 15% of the world is disabled in some um, challenged and some physically challenged. And I think that includes mental disabilities as well. So you've got 15% uh, of the world, like we're talking to 1.5 billion people. Um, that's a lot of people. And, and it's, and yet it's a very underrepresented group. Uh, and people realize this in, in elections, you know, and, and um, all sorts of things that realizing to, to embrace that group is, it's a, I mean, it's a big group. And, and the more we bring that group in to this, into the tent, under the tent, so to speak, uh, the better for everybody. And, and now I think diversity um, and inclusion, of course, is, is topical. It's, you know, it's, it's yeah, you hear a lot about that now these days. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, this is part of that conversation is, is bringing, bringing differences together and, and, yeah. and, and shining a, a positive light on it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're doing now. It's just kind of like chatting about stuff like this, that, you know, yeah. and, and thinking about our bodies and, and thinking about how we see ourselves and how we see other bodies. Um, I wanted to ask one more question going back to your art is, you know, as an artist, there is also that kind of a um, exotic, if you will, kind of like the idea of the artist, the painter, and his the, the person who's being posing. You know, I know we've talked about this before, but can we bring it back a little bit to that that power of being an artist? And you know, well, and, the, yeah. The, right. As I mentioned earlier, the first when I went to a, a small. Uh, college in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, called Franklin and Marshall in, in the Amish country. And then oh. my freshman year of college, and I took this figure drawing class. And the when the in, you know in the first day of class, and the instructor introduced you know Mary, who was a voluptuous, beautiful woman. And when she took off her bathrobe and was you know uh, without any clothes on, it was really quite um, invigorating and mm -hmm. quite uh, quite exciting. And, uh, and you know you you draw fast. You just <laughs> Um, and, and, and I've, you know, I've, I've drawn the figure uh, for decades and I, I really, um, I find it beautiful. And, and I also find that the figure is, it's like the one, if you weren't going to learn engineering, you know, you'd have to learn the basics of, you know, weights and balances and stuff like that. Well, drawing and painting, you know, the figure is, is really a great 
tool. And um, if you can draw the figure, you can draw a tree, you can draw a landscape, you can draw anything. So um, it, but it's, a, it's a great uh, learning mechanism too. Uh, but it's also quite, quite sexy and quite exciting sometimes too. So, um, so I've always enjoyed painting um, mostly females without clothes on, but I've, I've painted a few men without clothes on. And, um, but it is a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a very interactive thing there. You're, it's very real. It's very, uh, as I said, exciting. And it's also, it's, it's visceral is probably not the right word, but it, it's tactile. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're in the moment and yeah. um, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah. You know, there are stereotypes of like photographers and their sexual relations with their yeah. subjects that they're photographing, but it applies to the artist as well, doesn't it? It applies to the artist too, yes. That's <laughs> yeah. And you can see some of my um, actually examples of my, what I call, I have a section in my, on my website called Nudes. And um, yeah, you can, you can see my version of, of Nudes. When you look at a body, when you look at the female body, when you're when you're painting or drawing or sketching it, um, does it become something else? Like, do you do you enter a different kind of uh, an understanding of of the body because you're so fixated on certain areas? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying, and I, I I'm not sure if I'll answer that question by this response, but. Uh, when I draw the body or, or parts of a body, even my body, if I draw my hands or, or draw my, my, myself or somebody else, it, very often times as I'm drawing, okay, I'm looking at something and I'm drawing, I can actually physically in a way sense or feel where that pencil is on my body. So let's say I'm drawing an arm and, you know, the, you know, where the, where the joint, where the elbow is, or I can, or the hand or something I can, as I'm drawing, I can physically, or as I said, emotionally, or sense this, where that pencil is on my body in a way. So it, it, it's a very, I don't know how that happens. It's kind of this loop that yeah. uh, by, you know, my hand on the paper with the crayon or the brush or the pencil or whatever, as I'm moving that, I'm almost like scratching an itch, if you That's will. Really or, interesting. Or I'm feeling it like as if I was drawing on my body and it's, so it, it is a very uh, connected kind of yeah. thing. And, yeah. But then, so that's why, cause when you were saying um, earlier that you, you've started to do art on the iPad, like doing some digital art. So, you know, when this whole digital world started kind of um, impounding us with this, this lack of tactile, you know, connection I struggled with it so badly in fact I remember when my son was in school and all of a sudden the the teacher expected him to do everything online writing typing without writing I challenged that I really refused it I wanted to resist it and like how can you replace the feeling of your you know your your something you're thinking about translated into the tip of your pen and touching a piece of paper yeah. that kind yeah. of tactileness is something you can't replace but tell me I mean Convince me well, that. You know, I tried in, in 1980, I tried one of the first um, uh, styluses, if you will, like a pencil that you draw, you drew on a, a, a pad and you drew. And I remember drawing with that. And this was in the 80s. And I was, it felt like to me, scratching my fingernails down a blackboard. It was that 
jarring. And it was like, oh, I'll never touch this and I'll never do this. And I never did until 2018. And I, and I, I, I got a, um, an iPad and I got a, a stylus. Uh, and to be very honest, it is a totally different feel now. And you can sense. Now, I, I would never replace it, but there is a touch and feel to the, eye, to the pen, the stylus now that there's a push, there's a, there's a pressure you can push and it makes a difference. It's not just all, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's, they've come a long way, okay. um, but it will never, to me, replace, you know, a, 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 a moist wax uh, pastel, oil pastel that just, you know, smushes into the paper or the canvas or the brush that, you know, the water that, and the paint that just slides here and moves there, you know, that will never get replaced by, by an iPad. I'm sorry, but um, it's, it is, it's a, it's an extension, but it's not, it will never have the same feel. Um, I guess you have to kind of recalibrate your brain in the way it transfers certain types of senses, right? Like, I mean, there are pros and cons to everything. So, you know, I, I think you can't replace interpersonal, like I, I miss, you know, being able to see you in person and, and, and right. giving you a big hug. But then at the same time, we're across the world and we can talk right now. So there's you've pro, got, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely the pros and cons for sure. And, and I, you know, I really enjoy it for what it is though. And I enjoy this Zoom call for what it is. It's not ideal. And, um, you know, and at least I can see you and that's great. Um, I understand that people do have conversations on Zoom and that you don't even see each other, which to me is like, well, wait a minute, um, you know, yeah. 70, what are they, seven, I was a communication studies major and the number 78, 78% of how we communicate is nonverbal communication. So if you're just a, your, your initials on a screen and you're having a conversation, I mean, how do you, how do you judge just like my, by, by me doing that, you know? Yeah, how do you, you can't how see do you, your eyebrows if they're just listening. Yeah, you yeah. So anyway, so but you, we we must take you know, all these tools with you know for take the positive sides and and you know utilize them as best we can and, and not lose touch with I think you know the, the 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 originals if you will like painting and drawing with you know materials that have been around for hundreds of years and and um, and yeah, embrace yeah. the new but. Uh, don't forget the old if you yeah 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 there's just so much to embrace and life too short to kind of you know cut corners in ways do you want to leave our audience with any thoughts if people are listening now um Gregory Burns here talking about his art you know um views on the body and sexuality we've been through already you know and how your life has been shaped by um a disability that turned into something precious to your life and you you know you not only and I think overcoming is is uh, belittling what you've done uh, so far in your accomplishments and I've always admired the way you tell stories of your travels you know going wherever you want getting on a crowded bus you know in a foreign country and there's so many stories onto a moving train in Delhi in the air in the train station as it was pulling out of the station and grabbing on with one arm and and walking along the side of the train as the conductor was saying, you can't get on this train without a ticket. And I knew perfectly well I could buy the ticket once I, and I literally heaved myself and landed on the steps in front of him and said, I'll buy the ticket on the train. Yeah, no, I've been, yeah, I've been uh, uh, very active and, I, and I, I've always believed and stated, and I, I do motivational talks and I say this many times, which is 
it's the challenges and the, the hiccups, if you will, that, that um, I don't say you know, push us, but in a way uh, challenge us. And, and um, in my life have, have uh, made me uh, want to do more, made me want to make the most of what I did have. And I think that's uh, important. And I think, I, I don't think that any of us get out of here alive. That's not to be cynical, but you know, we all, we all get hit by challenges all of our lives. And, and, and yet there are some people I see with, with fewer, maybe uh, fewer challenges, and I'm not sure that they're um, better off for it because I do see that when you get challenged, then you come back and you, you overcome or you do you <clears throat> ex expend some energy to, to get to somewhere. And that, that in a way makes you stronger. And so it's these little uh, battles, if you will, or these little uh, skirmishes that we have all <clears throat> as we grow up that, that, um, that keep you strong. Yeah. And I think one of the tricks is you just don't stop doing that. You know, as I'm getting older, I'm, I, you know, I'm slowing down. I'm like, I don't want to swim, you know, 3000 meters a day anymore. So, you know, <laughs> but if I swim 1500, I'll feel okay. And part of me really is there's this sense that I'm, am I doing what I need to do? <clears throat> am I, <clears throat> am I um, continuing to reinvent or push the envelope or am I still trying hard and, and not just laying on my laurels or sitting back and, you know, watching the sunset with a margarita. It's a, um, you can do that too, but yeah, you will always push the envelope, Greg. And I really look forward to more stories from you to share about your adventures in life. I really, really appreciate you sharing all these things, both personal and public and, and largely impactful stories. So thank you. Pleasure. Thank you.